teachers are leaders. And we're here to emphasize the good in education, one practice, method, idea, or trend at a time. Thanks for being here. Welcome to the Teachers Are Leaders podcast, brought to you by the Warren Instructional Network, and I'm your host, Andrea Coachman. Okay, we are back for another episode, and I think this might be, I maybe say this every time, but this might be my most favorite episode because this is the first where I am talking with someone who is currently in a district in the field working with teachers on a day-to-day basis, supporting students. So Susan Kelly, thank you so much for being with me today. Oh, you're welcome. I'm glad to be here, Andrea. And so a little bit about your background, which this is always the spot where I learn so much more than I knew coming in. So you have been in education for 43 years and have served as a teacher, as a reading recovery teacher, um, then as a literacy consultant outside of the district, and then now most currently for the last 12 years, 12, 13 years, as the director of literacy in Carrollton Farmers Branch, which for our friends not in the area, that is a large district uh, in the DFW Metroplex area, you know, here in Texas. So uh, tell us a little more, Susan, like, you know, how did you, how did you get into education? Where'd you start and how'd you end up where you are? <laughs> well, I, um, I was an education major at the University of Texas at Austin. My dad actually was a professor at UT and um, probably had something to do with me going into education. For sure. um, right. And so um, I, I have a graduate and undergraduate degree. I have a master's degree from, from UT Austin as well. Um I, I just remember thinking that I was going to be a teacher for a long time. Like that, that just felt like a good fit, good fit for me. Um, I started my teaching career as a fifth grade teacher and um, just considered myself an upper grade level teacher. And I, I loved my fifth graders. And then uh, my principal demoted me (laughs) to first grade and I fell in love with, um, emergent reading and teaching children how to read. And uh, so really got to see both ends of, of the spectrum there and then became uh, moved to to the Dallas area and um, was hired at Carrollton Farmers Branch, a really diverse district. It's gotten more diverse as the years go by. Currently, it's um, 64% eco dis and um, 36% emergent bilingual students. So. Um, so it's, it's quite diverse. And um, I uh, became a reading recovery teacher here and then retired from public education and was a literacy consultant for 17 years awesome. and had the opportunity to work with lots of different districts, both in the North Texas area and across the nation. And then decided I felt disconnected and thought, you know, the hard work really <laughs> is digging in and, and working inside of a school district where you can't say what you think needs to happen and then leave. Right. So, um, so um, CFB hired me back again, and I'm currently serving as the director of elementary language arts and have been for, as you said, 12 or 13 years. Can't remember now, 12 to 13 years. A lot. Uh, <laughs> right. And have really enjoyed the challenges of this position. Um, it's there, there's always a lot going on. Sure. Um elementary language arts is kind of the center of a lot of different things, special education, um, our 
bilingual program, um, our MTSS program. So, so it's a real challenging position. And over the years, I've, I, I've learned how to handle all those challenges, I think. Wow. Um, but enjoy, I have the opportunity to work with um, a staff of 21 literacy coaches. They're the best and the brightest, and I am privileged to work with them. Um, work with teachers, and I actually get an opportunity to work with kids, <laughs> which yeah. I love. And also with principals to help mm -hmm. principals know what to look for and what to listen for um, in terms of language arts. Well, and I know, so Carrollton Farmers Branch, how, how big, I know it's a big district, but how big is Carrollton Farmers Branch? Well, it's sprawly in that um, the edge, so there's Carrollton and then there's Farmers Branch, which are right. two different communities, but we bump up against DISD, we bump mm -hmm. up against, which is Dallas Independent School District, we bump up against um, Capel ISD, which mm -hmm. is a smaller school district we bump up against Denton ISD which is to the north of us so I don't I, I can't tell you square mileage wise but it's it's a pretty it's it's pretty sprawly and we've got um 24 elementary schools okay so um if that gives you an idea about how big how big we are yes well because I was thinking you know 21 coaches sound awesome but if you have 24 elementary schools that's you know you're still making some decisions and putting people, you know, where you need that support and having to kind of move and shake. So you are right. Well, we have a, we have a bilingual program that is quite unique. It, we have a one-way and a two-way program right. and our bilingual student, our goal for our bilingual students is biliteracy. So mm -hmm. the way our program works is um, children through the fourth grade get their language arts instruction in Spanish. Okay. So um, I have a staff of bilingual coaches that can coach into those classrooms, um, but we have 14 bilingual campuses. So my coaches um, generally serve two campuses. Wow, that's a lot. That's a lot of coordinating. <laughs> <laughs> it is. It is. Scheduling is scheduling is something else. Yeah. Awesome. Well, so thinking, thinking back through your years of supporting teachers and students and principals and coaches, but then also your years as a student, can you pinpoint a, a potential favorite memory in education? And obviously that is the most broad question in the history of questions, but <laughs> it all, it seems to be a good place to start that kind of, you know, historically leads, leads to points, these conversations in a direction. So it's a fun, a fun question to ask. <laughs> Well, I, I knew you were going to ask me that question, so I've been thinking about it. I've got lots of good um, memories, but when I was a first grade teacher, I was living in Houston and working in A-Leaf ISD at the time, mm -hmm. and I would come home for Thanksgiving, and those were the days when many, many children didn't go to kindergarten, so their first experience with school was first grade, mm -hmm. and that was the grade that children learned to read. Uh, nowadays it's kindergarten back then it was first grade and I can remember my folks saying to me how many of your students have learned how to read by November and I I you know tell them all but three are already reading and just mm -hmm. how um just how interesting and how thrilling that was um to watch children develop at develop their literacy um so I do remember I do remember that yeah well it it definitely makes sense, you know, from your background and then, you know, going through the years and then being where you are now is continuing that, like, especially working with those younger students where that foundation really is built. That is some powerful work. We, um, our son is four, he'll turn, he'll start kindergarten in August. And so, you know, he's starting to notice letters and has some sounds and it's, 
it's something I never have experienced. Obviously, I mean, I taught secondary, so it is a right. a, a brand new ball game that is very, it's very exciting. <laughs> it is, and it, it I think it feels like a black box to people almost. And sure. children learn to read differently. It's mm-hmm. it's not the same for everybody, um, and that's interesting as well. So you know, what works with one child or one group of children may or may not work with another. So it's it's really super important to know our students by name and by need mm-hmm. um, to ensure that we offer instruction that meets the needs of all of our students. And that requires a teacher that is really um, observant and refined and knows the continuum of learning, um, that understands what prerequisite skills are, that's a lot. I think we need to have our best and brightest teachers in our youngest grades because one of my favorite sayings is we need to build a better third grader yes. uh, because much past third grade, if you're behind in reading, it's too hard to catch up. So yeah. we need to ensure that kids are leaving second grade as solid readers and writers. Mm-hmm. Um, so we need to, we need to make sure that our assessment practices are where they need to be, that we're checking on our teaching. I think sometimes we can think, I taught it, right. how come they didn't get it? Right. <laughs> and sure. so, so not only do we need to, you know, shore up our instructional practices, but we need to use data to see if my teaching worked. And if yeah. it didn't, now what do I do about it? Now what? And right, isn't that the question? I love that. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> So thinking about, I mean, you guys are doing some great things in CFB and that is, you know, when, when our team thinks about, you know, who, who are our go-to people, who do we, you know, like to have conversations with, to learn more. I mean, you, you are one of them, which is, you know, why we wanted to have a conversation with you today. Oh, thank you. (laughs) But so, you know, what, what are y'all doing? What is the work that is being done in CFB? I mean, and you, you know, being there for a decade, you've seen, you've seen things come in, you've seen things come out. You've now been through you know, the pandemic and reading academies. And then obviously our current, our current state in 20, you know, from 2022 to 2023. So what is the work that y'all, that you guys are doing? And, and, you know, how did you get to that point? Oh, that's a great question. We have historically been a workshop district. So um, readers and writers workshop has been, and phonics workshop has been our fundamental structure since, gosh, since um, I was um, a teacher here. Um, so, so, so that's the, that's a structure that we work inside of mm-hmm. at our youngest grades. We also in make sure that we have best practices in place, such as shared reading, interactive read aloud, because if I think about Scarborough's reading rope, for example, mm-hmm. there are two main sort of big strands. One of them is the the word reading strand and the others, the, the language comprehension strand. And inside of each of those big strands are some small sub skills. And I think that we have to pay attention to all the sub skills in the reading rope that if we lean too heavily into the word recognition um, pieces and forget about teaching language comprehension, vocabulary, um, all of those things that that were out of out of balance. I know balance is not a popular term right now. That's the way I think about it. And the opposite is true. If we if we lean really hard into the comprehension strands and not and and sort of are casual about the decoding pieces, right. then then we also don't get skilled reading. So 
and I, I guess I'll reiterate that there are children that learn how to read um, without phonics. Right. For some reason, they either taught themselves or they have their they're able to um, a word that they read becomes a sight word for them automatically. So, but there are some children that need very carefully sequenced, many children, very carefully sequenced um, phonics programs um, to, to learn to be skilled readers. So, so our program, I, I think has all of those components when I think about a reading program, but a, a, a comprehensive literacy program also has to have a writing program. And when I say writing, I'm not talking about handwriting. I'm talking about um, genre writing. So even our littlest kiddos right now, our kindergartners are writing um, how-to books. Yes. And so even our littles um, are expected to, uh, this time of the year, a kindergarten student can write across, I don't know, three or four pages of a little how-to book, step one, step two, step three, yeah. and with, you know, two or three sentences on a page. So um, not all students, but many of them can do that. So so a, a, a literacy program that is robust will have a writing program. There'll be handwriting in there. Uh, um, that's important. Um, there'll be a spelling component. Right. Encoding is important. Um, and then, you know, as we move, as kids become stronger readers, we think a lot about reading volume and stamina, mm -hmm. uh, motivation, engagement. Um, all of those things are important for a robust literacy program and of course phonics and yes. logical awareness right. so so it's complex it is really complex to um, ensure that all of those things are happening because kiddos need them all right well and I loved what you said even in the beginning I think sometimes there's a um what what is the word I'm looking for a miss misinformation or whatever where you know like you said we're a workshop district reading workshop writing workshop and phonics workshop like there is a place and it is necessary for all three pieces and that especially the hard part right is bringing them all together um I love that because I do uh somebody somebody said to me um recently oh it was actually my husband uh he was listening to a I don't know if it was a podcast or a presentation or something but they were talking about like the equation of you know decoding plus or times comprehension equals skilled reading well if you put a zero in either one of those spots, your end result is not a skilled reader. It's going to equal zero. And that kind of, you know, created that picture for me. And it, it made me think about what you're talking about. Like you have to touch on everything to ensure that every reader, every writer gets to that point of, you know, being considered skilled. Yeah, that simple view of reading. And actually the science of reading leans heavily on that simple view of reading that you described right. so right but even then moving toward gosh and you know the, the history of it all like Scarborough's Rope and the simple view of reading but now with um Duke and Cartwright's the active view of reading even what you mentioned the stamina the engagement the motivation you know all of that is important and powerful and necessary to get to build better third graders to get them where we need to be right right Okay, so like, I mean, how do you do, how do you do that? How do you make it, it work? Well, we, you know, in this district, we have really historically focused on professional development. Right. And that doesn't mean 
always bringing teachers into some big room and, and doing sit and gets. Right. Um, so we do an awfully lot of sitting side by side with teachers while they're teaching. And we have a really healthy PLC, professional learning community culture in CFB. And during professional learning time, um, teachers do any number of things. They're, they're answering questions like, what do we want our kids to learn? How do we know when they've learned it? What do they do? What do we do if they didn't? What if we, what do we do when they already knew it? Yes. <laughs> and so, so um, teachers um, keep the text in mind, of course, when they're, when they're thinking about their, their lessons. So studying content deeply, I think is really, really important. If you're, if you're observing a student reading and you notice they're having difficulty, you, you have to have a continuum of skills inside your head to know what that child needs next right. or how to gap fill. So I think that coaches and myself um, sitting in during PLC time is really, really important. But I also think this whole notion of getting inside of a classroom and, and working side by side with a teacher and offering scaffolding, whatever the teacher wants, you know, sometimes we coach, we, we reflect on a lesson instruction after the lesson and set goals for teachers. Sometimes we, we sit next to a teacher and, and a teacher might, we might jigsaw a lesson. So I'll do the first part, you do the next part, I'll do the next part. So we have lots of different ways to scaffold, scaffold teachers. I was walking classrooms today in a, in a class, in a, campus. And I think one of the best things that we can do is give teachers feedback. I mean, that's how people learn is they try something on and they get feedback and they fix what needs to be fixed. I mean, essentially that's it. And so I I think it's really, really important to give teachers feedback on, and that's what I did today, all those things that they are doing so well and to keep doing those things. So, so I think, um, one of the ways that we make instruction, learning and teaching and learning happen effectively in CFB is is, um, our staff development. We also use assessment data pretty pretty well, I think. Um, We are learning how to use formative assessment data, which is informal. And so, so when I think about an assessment, it could be it could be an observation checklist. It could be, you know, kids are a little older, I might ask them to do to do a little writing for me. And then I bring student work into the PLC and I say to my colleague, hey, does yours look like this one? Oh, yours is better than mine. What did you do differently? <laughs> um, so, so that formative assessment cycle, so that we use assessments not for grades, but to inform our instruction, I think is another practice that we're really trying to put into place. Um, you know, we, grading is um, is interesting because we have report cards and parents deserve to know, you know, how's my kiddo doing? I mean, that's what every parent wants to know. Um, and they should know. And how's my child doing against everybody else? Right. Um, so in CFB, we actually have what's called a standards-based report card in kindergarten and first grade. So we report the standards like your child can read consonant, vowel, consonant words. Um, and we, we report that to parents and that happens to be a, a state standard. Right. Um, an important one. Kids need to know how to do that. So we can't report out on every single standard that there is, but we choose the ones that are the most important. I think the um, assessment practices, the PLC work that we do, the PD that we offer, and the coaching, 
and I do think that we work pretty carefully with our principals. So um, all of the content directors, the math director, the social studies and science directors, we all usually have a time during principal meetings, our monthly principal meetings, when we're sharing something around content to, to help principals know, again, they don't have to have fine-grained information, but you know, what should I be looking for and listening for on my campus um, in, in whatever grade level you know, we're, we're talking about? Mm -hmm. So I, those are all things that I think contribute to success. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think that, you know, especially a campus principal, like there, there's so many things that they do. And then when it comes to, you know, going into a literacy classroom, especially, you know, kinder through two, where they really are that, you know, learning how to read, unless you have that literacy background, you don't know what you're looking for and you don't know what you should or shouldn't see. And like, is this great or are we not, you know, hitting the mark? So I think that right. alignment is, that's huge. It makes, that makes all the sense. That's awesome. Yeah. It makes all the difference. Definitely. I love it. So then, you know, where are you guys, you know, when it, it being a workshop district, but then thinking about the reading academies and the science of reading, you know, how has that shifted your practice? Well, I went through reading academies, I think, I believe it was 2019 and, um, I was a former reading recovery teacher. And so some of the practices and strategies that I used as a reading recovery teacher aren't in alignment with the science of reading. So I had to do some really, some soul searching about that. But I think when you know better, you do better. So I began in 2019 to adjust some of the lessons that we use in our curriculum to make sure that we were in alignment. We didn't have a, a very robust phonological awareness program. And so that's one of the first things we put in place. Teachers were teaching phonological awareness, but not in a systemic in a systemic way. And so that's one of the first things that we did. And then we we began to take a look at um, phonics programs. Our commissioner of education said right. you got to have a phonics program in place. And we historically have in Carrollton, we've always had a phonics program. Um, but I don't, again, think it was, I think there's too much choice in the program and it wasn't as systemic as it should have been or as sequential as it should have been. So we adopted a phonics, another phonics program, and that was a shift. And, and then we made some other shifts. Like, you know, in the past, we would say to teachers, you know, when, when our most emergent readers, when they get stuck, yeah. you need to tell them to check the picture and look at the first letter. Right. And we now know that we taught many children how to read. There are children for whom that we are doing a disservice. Mm -hmm. You know, we're when kiddos get stuck when they read, the first thing that we want them to do is decode the word yeah. and then go back and check it by rereading. Right. Um, so that's a big shift for some people. Sure. Um, we made some shifts in how we teach children to learn sight words. That, that was another shift. We put some really nice, I spoke about formative assessments, but we put some very fine grained assessments in place around phonemic awareness and phonics. So we now formally assess kids, informally, but also formally assess kids phonological awareness or phonemic awareness. Can they read CVC words? Right. Can they read CVCE words? Um, that sort of thing. At second grade, we're assessing right now. Uh, multisyllabic words and can kids read multisyllabic words that have open and closed syllables and that sort of thing. Yeah. So we're, we're keeping track of that data um, and we didn't do that in the past. So that's a shift. We're also using more decodable text. Mm 
Um, we've been historically a guided reading district. And so we have libraries full of level text and we now know, um, golly, we, we need to use decodable text for sure in kindergarten and first grade. And not, not only decodable text, but um, once kids have early concepts of print under control, once they can match, you know, a word for every word they say in, in text and have return sweep, those early, early concepts, we we want teachers moving into decodable text that have simple CVC words in them and sight words as well. Right. So a heavier dose of decodable text that follows a really nice sequential skill curriculum. So that's been that's been a shift. Yeah. Finding all the decodable text that we need has been a challenge because <laughs> yeah. we have a program, we have a Spanish program where kids are learning in Spanish. And so finding really decodable text that is comprehensible, old decodables in years past sounded like the fat cat sat on the mat. Right. Um, and now much there are decodables that publishers have produced that, that really have little stories. So you can not only teach and practice decoding, you can teach comprehension with them. Yeah that's true in English and Spanish. There just, there just aren't as many of those materials in Spanish. So we're always, we're always looking for that. Right. So those are the, a few of the shifts that we made. And um, as I told our school board last week, really the pandemic, we lost student achievement in the pandemic, mm -hmm. but we also lost teacher training. Right. And, and now we have, um, I think everybody knows this and is probably experiencing it we have a teacher shortage. Right. And so we end up having brand new teachers or, you know, teachers that aren't used to workshops. So we end up the kind of coaching and PD that we can provide is sort of implementation type coaching, like routines and procedures and that sort of thing. Those need to be in place so that really good um, solid teaching can happen. Mm -hmm. So we, we lost teachers and we lost PD time because we, we have trouble finding substitutes as well. So all of those things contribute to a solvable problem, a challenge to ensure that, that we have made the shifts that we need to make in our program so that we're in alignment with the science of reading. Right. Well, and I love that. I like, you know, what you said, when we, when we know better, we do better. And I think that, you know, you guys have been very successful in CFB and, you know, being a workshop district, it, and, you know, you mentioned shared reading and interactive read aloud in addition to, you know, your reading workshop, your writing workshop, your phonics workshop, but that shift, like you said, making the shift. And I think that is what is so powerful and especially in education. I mean, we are, it's, it's a moving target. Like, you know, we are a living, breathing entity. You know, we learn more about how our brains work and, you know, what is best practice and, and what does work for, you know, teaching students how to read. But I think you know, you guys knowing what you stand for and what, you know, what it means to, to teach, to be a literacy teacher in CFB. I think that, I don't, you know, you guys are doing great work and, you know, it's very clear that it wasn't a, okay, we got, you know what, we learned more. Now we got to throw everything out and start over. It was, well, where are the places where we're missing out? Where are, you know, the places we need to fill a gap? And then how can we do that with, you know, resources, decodables, whatever it is, but then how can you and how can your team support teachers in that implementation? And I think, you know, to me that pro we're, we are, you're doing for teachers, for your coaches and your teachers and your principals, what you're asking teachers to do with their students. Like it's that, you know, continuous learning. Like we are all learning. We're all trying to be better. And that, 
it's pretty powerful. Oh, thank you. Yep. Well, we're not, we're not there yet for sure. There's always room, room for growth. We know that, Um, but our students deserve it. And for our students of poverty, I mean, we're it. Yeah. Parents, their parents love them, but but we are their chance. Um, So I, you know, have to keep that in mind. Yes. Well, I got goosebumps from that one. So But that is true. And that's the other thing, you know, I think I get very fired up. I think that, you know, the way our, our country is with, you know, a focus on and an emphasis in public education and being able to provide every student with an education, I think is so important. And, you know, it's awesome to have these conversations and see that work being, being put into place and, you know, students getting that opportunity to feel that success and grow into literate students. It's huge. Right. Yeah. That's been my life's work. Yes. I would say it's a success, Susan. I think you, I feel like this is a, this is very um, informal, but I feel like you're crushing it. Oh, <laughs> you know, I always like to kind of wrap these up with thinking, oh, cause I'm a very concrete thinker. Like sometimes we, we have our team meetings and it's a lot of abstract, great ideas, but very abstract. And I'm like, right. Listen, guys, we got it. I need some concrete things here. What is, what is some action that? items? Right, yes, right, right. Yes. And so, you know, I like to wrap these up kind of with those action items, but I, I mean, I feel like you've hit them all. It is about that working, you know, know better, do better, working to, as we go through and more research comes out, you know, this, that, or the other, then taking that and refining our practices. But then even more is that, that formative assessment. We, you know, just like we are formatively assessing our students, we have to assess our practice and, you know, how is it going, but how can we do better? So to me, I feel like those are, those are the action items you laid out for us. (laughs) They really are. Yeah. You summed it up well. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think if I got anything from my coaching training over the years, how can I make sure that I understood? Thank you very much. I mean, I always appreciate any opportunity to chat with you and any, you know, any insights because they are very abundant when it comes to talking with you. So I appreciate you you and your time so much. Oh, thank you. I'd like to say one more word. I think that our, I think that our school boards um, deserve to know the good work that we're doing out there. And I would, um, I shared with you a little earlier, but I'll share again that um, we took our school board, some of our school board members into one of our campuses and let them see the hard work that teachers are doing and the success stories. And then we had um, honest conversations in a board work study about um, just the things that we've all talked about today um, so that there wasn't an elephant in the room yeah. so, that, so that we know, we, we all know what the story is and boy, we're out there you know, trying to make it happen and trying to be in alignment with, with the latest and greatest. So um, that would be another tip that I would say, you know, yes. keep, keep school boards in the loop. Yes. Well, and you know what, I think that may be the most important actionable item because that is true. You don't know, you don't know what's going on if you don't see it and being, you know, showing that the picture and the story and the great work that is happening is, that is huge. And that is what you know, just speaks volume to the work that you guys are doing and the hard work that the teachers are doing on a day-to-day basis. And, you know, we don't, they don't always get credit for that. So true. True. Uh, well, thank you again so much. I am, I'm sure we'll come back for another episode at another point, but (laughs) I appreciate, I appreciate your time today. 
Well, I'm flattered that you that you asked me to to talk with you about literacy because you know that's where I live. So thanks, Andrea. I love it. You are welcome. I will talk with you soon, Susan. You bet. <laughs>